Hello, 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 my beautiful, beautiful listeners. This is Bonnie Jean Alford, the Identity Guru, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Life's a Blank. I know this season has been a bit sporadic. I've I've struggled with getting the posts up and finding a clear schedule. Season three, which is coming in just a little bit of time, will be a little bit better, I hope. Uh, this year, 2021 was a very tough year for all of us, and today is New Year's Eve, and I'm going to hopefully prepare to qualify for a better year next year. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny, such a thought. But seriously, 2021 was marked with a whole lot of crazy Um, between all of the discriminatory behavior and between everything that just could go wrong did go wrong. And that's actually part of why I'm delayed. I was sick for a month. No, not with the big C. Um, Not the cancer big C, the COVID big C. Anyway, um, I just had a standard run-of-the-mill cold, which was worse or flu, which was worse than when I did have COVID last January. But anyway, that's a whole nother discussion that I don't wanna go there. I want to try to be positive, though I did just learn within the last hour that Betty White, icon, hero, beautiful being, passed away this morning. I am just a little bit devastated and I thought about not posting this episode but it's long overdue. It's been a while since I recorded the conversation with our guest today. And despite the fact that at the end, I say there'll be another guest, there's just one guest uh, because (laughs) it was a 45 minute conversation and I hadn't thought it through at that point. Uh, But hearing about Betty White's passing was um, sad. You know, my entire life, she was there in some way or another in programs on television, in different aspects of the world. And she is, has always been someone I wanted to look up to, or she was someone I looked up to. She's someone I wanted to be like. She was just this beautiful being that radiated positivity and excitement and happiness and she lived to almost 99. She would have been 99 in, I mean, she lived to almost 100. She was 99. Um, she would have been 100 in January. And I'm sad she didn't make it to that because that would have been a great milestone for her to hit. But at the same time, when you're ready, you're ready. When you've lived a, a, a long and full life like she did, it, it just is what it is. And she was ready, her being, her soul, her everything was ready to make the transition to whatever comes next from this life. I hope that when I'm ready to go, I will be missed at least, you know, a millionth as much as she is going to be missed. I've been missing her already. She hasn't been doing a lot. She's been staying home a lot more and not um, participating in films and TV shows anyway. But still, you know, knowing that there was the possibility out there was important. And I'm kicking myself because I have a character in my book that I describe as Betty White-like. And I haven't finished the book and gotten it published. And that means the movie's not being made. So sadly, someone else will have to be the Betty-like-ish 
character that represents the elder version of my character. So maybe that'll be better anyway. So, uh, but that's okay. Today being the end of the year, we are marked with having an opportunity to create change in our life. And in that light, I always choose a word of the year. And for next year, for 2022, my word is choice. And normally when I brand it, I do it with three subparts and break it down. But I decided to choose to do things a little different for 2022. This coming year, I, while the word is choice, my slogan, so to speak, or my tagline for the year is finding the power in choosing me. And behind that is this idea that in every decision I make, in every choice I make for the next 365 days, I am going to think about how does this benefit me? How does it improve my life? How does it advance me forward? Whether I'm thinking about taking a client job or participating in an activity or writing for my own work, no matter what it is, I am going to think about what it does for me. My, most of my life, I've always done for everybody else. I put them first. Students came first, clients came first, friends came first, family came first, even when I was last. And in the last two years, I've realized for whom I am last, which is most of the people I know, or maybe not quite last, but definitely not first for most of the people that I was putting first. And I think that's something we, many of us do. Like the reality of life is we want to be there for other people. And it's just sad when you need people to be there for you and people you are always there for disappear in the moment that your life is full of struggle. I'm very, 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 and we, I know as a writer, we're not supposed to use the word very so often, but sometimes I just feel like breaking those writing rules. Um, but truth be told, you know, there are some people that have been wonderfully there for me. You know, the last several months I've had very difficult, I've had difficulty walking, I've had difficulty um, standing, I've fallen a couple times. And because of all the COVID restrictions and rules, it's been very difficult, or it's been difficult to get in to see doctors because if you don't have the vaccination, they don't want you to come in. And if you aren't, if, if you haven't been tested or you've been, all these rules. And then if you can't wear the mask the way they want you to, um, even if it does you harm, then it just becomes more difficult. So suffice to say, I really haven't seen medical care for the issues that I have and things have gotten worse, which, is frustrating. Where was I going with that? I got off the train of thought. I don't know where, but anyway, um, thankfully, um, or with all that, I had trouble taking care of my home. I've had trouble doing just some of the basic things, you know, part of getting older and having, you know, being alone and is, is you don't have anyone to help you. I, I was very thankful though, that I did have a friend who knew that I needed help and she helped me by providing me with a cleaning lady who came and did my laundry twice a month to help me out for a while. And I'm looking forward to a 2022 where I'm going to keep her on because having her help for that has been tremendous. 
Though I will say uh, that having someone help clean my house is hard because I always had a way I wanted to do things. And sometimes it's humbling to just step back and say, I needed this help. What I need is help doing it, but it's not necessarily about doing it my way. It's about doing it in general, period. And, and sometimes we do have to let go. We have to let go of our pride and our uh, existence in our own mentality and really take care of fitting in with the world and fitting in with what someone can provide for you. The reality is that even if she would do it exactly the way I want it, it wouldn't be really the way I want it because only we can do that for ourselves. So the things that really matter, then those are the things I have to make sure I do on my own. And the things that I need help with, like the laundry and, you know, cleaning the shower and vacuuming, the, the stuff that because of my knee issues and because of my lower back issues make it very difficult for me to do, that's what I need help with. So I challenge you, as you're thinking about the choices you make for the next year, choose something to live your life by that really shapes you and really uh, grounds you in who you are. And who I am is somebody who likes to take care of other people and help people, but I am done doing it at the expense of myself. So the power of choosing me isn't about being selfish and it's not about anything other than making sure I give myself the appropriate amount of self-care that I need. I hope each of you listening does that for yourself too. Now on to today's introduction to the wonderful guest that I had a wonderful conversation with. Uh, this person is someone I've known easily the long, one of the longest relationships in my life. I, we met in junior high, seventh grade. She is a dear friend. She is one of the people who has never let me down no matter what. Um, and she is someone I care very much about. And we had a great conversation about karate and Japan and other things came up. And of course, at the end, I did say there would be another guest, but I'm sorry, there's only her and I and this introduction and a brief exit at the end by me. Uh, but that's because when I recorded it with her, I anticipated having a particular person that I wanted to do a conversation with and it would have been the perfect pairing, but he and I have not been able to schedule our conversation. And truth be told, I'd rather her, her and I's conversation stand on its own, just as I like his and I's conversation to stand on its own. As for layout for the rest of season three, I, or season two, I'm already onto season three in my mind. Um, I have two episodes left for season two. I was originally planning to air them um, in December, and this one that you're listening to now was supposed to be aired back in November of 2021. As for before mentioned, my health issues and other things getting in the way, I decided today that I'm just going to air this episode today, and the other two episodes I will air in January. The plan is still, though, to launch season three in February of 2020. 22. And my goal is to air it on February 17th, which is my birthday. Woohoo! Uh, 
that's important because one of the things I like to do with these episodes is I don't record this monologue that I do until the day I am airing it. The conversation is recorded sometimes a year before I air it for you because it depends on when I am able to schedule time with people. And sometimes I'll schedule three or four episodes, uh, conversations in a week, but I don't plan to air them for a couple months. But these openings are really important because they give us the opportunity to have a conversation for you to get my take on some of the world events. And I wouldn't have been able to talk about Betty White if I had pre-recorded this and set it to air three weeks from now or something like that, which is why I'm not going to air the other two today. I want to give them their rightful place in your mind separate from another podcast, unless I were to do purposely a double header like I did the opening of season two. So for now, enjoy this episode, prepare to qualify, and whatever you're preparing in life to qualify for, enjoy it. And after this brief break, enjoy the conversation with Jennifer and I. And I'll be back after the conversation to close out and introduce the song. Thanks so much. Welcome back, my beautiful listeners. I am excited today to have with me for a lovely conversation, one of my dearest and oldest friends. Yes, I've known this woman since we were in junior high. Can you imagine? It's been a lot of, I'm not even going to tell you all how long. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, Jennifer Tallgogger, who is not only a children's book author of an amazing book series, but she is also a multiple level black belt in karate, right? Yes, seventh Don, seventh level black belt. Well, can you explain to me and our listeners what that means? <laughs> sure. So in, in traditional karate or karate, as we usually say in the U.S., um, there are 10 levels of black belt. So when you get to your first black belt, it's shodan or first level, and you work your way up from there. And if you've, most people don't get to 10th level, that's usually a lifetime of practice and it's often um, awarded posthumously or when a person is really close to the end of their life because they've put in a lifetime of training at that point. So um, my husband also started on this path with me and is still on it. And we both got to our seventh level black belt uh, last September. Wow. And in our system, that also means we got to the level of Kyoshi the, or the title of Kyoshi, um, which is I never thought I would be a Kyoshi. I remember meeting one when I was a brown belt and interviewing him, Gordon Garland. And uh, I was in awe. Of, he was an eighth Don Kyoshi. And I was just like, wow, I'm not, you know, I've never met anybody this high up. And, and he, I was shocked by how personable I actually interviewed him for our little dojo newsletter. And um, he was just a regular guy, just a, a really cool and, and very helpful to me. And like, just, was happy to talk with me and had a lot of suggestions. So he was a great example 
early on for me it, of a good martial artist who puts human beings first. So it wasn't about like, to me, I was, I, before I met him, I had this inflated picture in my brain. Oh my gosh, he's eighth level black belt. He's a Kyoshi. He's uh, been studying since the 1940s and helped bring karate to America. And then when I met him, he was just like anybody's grandpa, friendly guy. So he, you know, it wasn't about the rank and the title and, oh, you're just a little brown belt. I don't have time for you. He, he was the opposite of that. He was very helpful and, and kind. I, I have found with most of the martial artists I know, the, the true martial artists, the ones that are about the art, not about the making money side of the art, but about the actual how it fits the soul that they're they're all like that you know I mean you're like that you're not about making money I mean you do run a dojo and there's a there there is profit in that to some degree but it, you you don't do it for the profit you do it to help the your students learn the lessons um what does Don Kiyoshi mean so Don means level D-A-N right um so Nana Don means seventh Don and then Kyoshi is just like a high ranking teacher. It's a polished teacher. I actually don't remember the literal trend. I'm sure there's a literal <laughs> translation for it. I would have to look it up. So, so, so let's see, let us look it up. One okay. One. I can type it in Japanese even. Kiyoshi. Yeah. So ki -o um, it's K K Y O or usually it's spelled K Y O S H I. Um, okay, so I'm so KY not because usually the the when you're putting it okay then I'm gonna put it in English letters because that would be important. So K Y O S H I. Yes. It's saying it means sawtooth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what they meant. <laughs> I don't think that's what they meant either. With that title. <laughs> so high level teacher, let me type it out in English and see what it comes up with. See how it spells it level teacher. Cause I mean, I know sensei is teacher, but. Yes. Oh, I know what it, why it's doing it because it uses the O with a long hyphen line on it. So okay, I got it. I asked, what does the title Kyoshi mean? It means expert teacher. It's sometimes also translated as professor or assistant professor. And depending on the organization, this typically requires a minimum rank of at least sixth degree black belt or seventh degree. But it wouldn't apply outside of martial arts. It would only apply within martial arts. I could, a Japanese person could tell you better than I could. <laughs> Well, the good news is at some point I will be having a conversation with a Japanese um, martial artist who runs his own dojo. So um, we just he might be able to tell you. But yes, I think it's mostly martial arts. But like sensei is used throughout all any um, discipline that you're learning. Right, because I'm referred to as Sensei Bonnie Jean, being that I teach language and English and sociology and those kind of things. So uh, um, I wouldn't be, that's not related to the martial arts, that's related to just being a teacher. Right. So, and yeah, it, it literally, Sensei literally means before born. 
or the one before born before you. So apparently Kyoshi means expert teacher. <laughs> and one day I will learn the kanji and actually know and can translate it myself. Um, <laughs> I am actually I can, I can write it in the Hirangi, which is the, um, the main Japanese language. So like Japanese has three letter systems. It's not just one. And it's, it's fascinating because there's the base one that is like a series of 20 some odd letters, 29 or something letters. And you can write anything in Japanese in these Hiranga letters. Hirangi, I maybe pronounced Hiragana. Hiragana. Hiragana, yes, there we go. And what I love about that is like anything that's said to me, it's like fingerspelling in sign language. You can do anything on it. Now, most words also have the kanji and the rom, rom, romji, rom, romanji? Romanji, that's it, yes. Like, and then, and you have to learn how to write it in those. And it's, it's just fascinating that you have to master one and then you can master the others, but it's, it's, um, Yes, I, when we went to Okinawa, that's one of the things that really surprised me. Like if you look at a sign outside of a store or the storefront to try to figure out what is, what is this store, you would have a mixture. You would have the kanji and the hiragana and, and um, I don't know how anybody learns to read in Japanese. Well, and it's really confusing too because they don't use any spaces. I mean, they do have periods at the end of sentences, but, and they'll put the question marks, but that's really more for American benefit or foreigners because actually they would say the word ka to indicate a question. So the question mark becomes extraneous. And it's like, how, my goodness, it's so confusing. Um, but it's also really fun to learn. It's, it's yes. kind of exciting to, to be able to speak in another language and, and explore this. Uh, with my new friends in Japan and and also friends here and it's and it's fun to write <laughs> I just love writing it is beautiful especially at, well all of it looks nice but the kanji particularly can be very beautiful it's a whole art form it, well I, yeah one of my new friends actually is a is specifically a um, calligrapher who uh, an artist who writes the Japanese letters whichever forms of it in calligraphy art and does that on packaging and you know everywhere and so it's it's just absolutely stunningly beautiful what she does and I'm like okay I want to do something with you teach me teach me be my sensei <laughs> yes but in time right yes definitely takes time. It, it does. And, and I wish I could remember words faster. Like I can, I, I can remember some words and I have my favorite words and <laughs> yeah. So Japanese is fun. So it, it'll, it'll be fun. I, I encourage you to, to learn. And there's this, this is the, I'm, I, I have this great book called Japanese from zero one. Um, George Tromley and Yukari Takinaka wrote it and they have three or four levels. But what it does is it takes you from the very beginning with basic phrases and numbers and then it goes through the alphabet and it's just very straightforward and it's easy to do it on your own through it. Awesome. 
Yeah, and I, so I've been doing this and then meeting with a friend of mine every Monday, which makes it easier. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could start learning too and we can meet and practice. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I know you know some because you have to for the karate, but uh, yeah. now I did Taekwondo years ago. And in order to get to, when you move up to black belt in Taekwondo, you have to actually go overseas and you, cause you can't be awarded the black belt in America. You have to travel. How is that the same with karate or is it different? It is different with karate. You can um, basically anybody who has second level, I, I believe this is a traditional thing and it doesn't usually go this way in our organization, the United Rukyu Kempo Alliance, um, but generally accepted in traditional karate is that if you are a second level black belt or higher, then you can promote people up to first level black belt. So you don't have to, it's just up to the teacher. It, you don't have to go anything, anywhere in particular. In our um, alliance, which is international, most of the teachers who have dojos and are part of this alliance decide to have their students go to the headquarters and test. They hold a test there every summer, uh, once a year, typically, and they will have anyone who's ready to test for black belt that year go to, to the headquarters and test. So that way you have 20 to typically it's 20 to 30 people all testing for their black belt together. So it's a really great experience. Um, it, yeah, just to test with people from all over the world. And that would include people from like for even higher level, the higher level black belts. Yes, yes. And depending on the level, um, they may help out more. Like I remember one of our higher, higher level tests, we went out there and tested and we were helping out that particular test, they had us teaching something new to the people who were testing for their first black belts. Um, so just all depends on what level you're going for and what what um, our Kaicho or our, that's translated as chairman, he's the head of the organization. He, um, you know, determines, well, this is what I want either the theme of the camp to be, or I think this group needs to work on this, you know, he has his reasons for choosing. Every test is somewhat different, but um, yeah, he'll focus on different skills in each different test. So I imagine that when you get up into, you know, second, third, fourth, you know, seventh, eighth, tenth level, I mean, 10th is lifetime achievement award, basically. So that's obviously you don't test for that. It's awarded to you, you know, by other people, whatnot. But I imagine it's not so much about the skills. By the time you get to, you know, into the black belts, your skills in the actual forms and, and, and um, sparring and those kind of things are pretty much established. It's more about your character at that point and your ability to provide guidance and be an example to others. I, I it sounds, yes. sounds like to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And the character is an important, it, it's very important for us for everybody, but yeah, even more so, you know, with rank comes responsibility. So the higher your rank, the more responsibility you have to show that you are, you know, having good character. And, um, and also the other component is, are you promoting the martial arts in your community? 
uh, the people who teach and have their own dojos tend to um, go up through the ranks faster than people who are just training by themselves and not trying to teach. I mean, even if you only have one student that you're teaching, that helps a lot for promoting the martial arts and like moving up and it helps your own skill too. You learn so much by teaching. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure, you know, from your life, yes. experience. <laughs> but that's definitely true in the martial arts, like things you wouldn't even have thought of the student will ask you and, and, or you'll just come into something because of their struggles that you didn't have or, or their ease with something that you might've struggled with. You'll see it from a different perspective and you learn so much about martial arts from teaching it so yeah so that's a big part of it too like what what not just what do you do there at the test in the summertime at headquarters but what have you done over the last year several years for the higher level black belts it, it you know it tends to be years in between each one so what have you been doing so um one of my instructors used to say every day is your test and that's true not yeah. just for the lower ranks but for the teachers too you know people higher up too. I, I like that mentality. Every day is your test. Yeah. That that can be just when you're writing your life, you know, this, this whole, this podcast is about how life's a blank and you write it. And mm -hmm. this idea that every day is a test. Every day is your test for life and how you do, you can, you always can start the next day over again, but as you step into each day, how you treat people, how you treat yourself, how you accomplish your goals and your tasks, all of it is a test for your achievement and accomplishments. So it's exactly, I got to write, I have to write that down. Every day is your test. Yeah. And we all, you know, we all have bad days and we all have failures. And then that's a big part of it too, for all levels and ranks, even from the very first white belt is when you do mess up or make a mistake, how do you handle that? And, and so with that, every day is your test. If you have a really bad day and you pretty much think in your own head, well, I failed today. <laughs> today was a failure, but then you wake up tomorrow and now guess what? It's your test again and still, so you can choose to change it and, and do better this time. So your next test won't be, your next formal test to advance to the eighth level won't be for a couple of years then, right? That's what I imagine. Yes, at least. <laughs> Does Hopefully. It cost money to test at the higher levels? I mean, like- uh, Yes, every, every black belt, there's, there is an investment for every, yes, every black belt. And it goes up a little bit for every black belt. Um, and that's one of the things that it's just a very traditional thing. I believe our instructor still charges what his instructor did for the tests, uh, the test fees. And he, he's always said, that's the fee. That's, you know, that doesn't change. It's always the same. And um, yeah, it's just a traditional part of the tradition. Right. Um, now your, your kids, you have two boys and they both are also martial artists as well because they've worked with you in the dojo and they've, they've got up in the ranks. Are, they're, they're both black belts as well, right? Yes. Yes. Are they first level, second level? They are both now senseis. So when you're 16 or older in our tradition, you're considered an adult. When you're 16, our instructor, Kaicho in the Alliance, um, also 
uses the milestone of having your driver's license. So when you're 16 with your driver's license is when he considers you an adult in, in the organization because you have, you know, you're putting people's lives in your hands every time you get on the road. So you're showing a level of responsibility. Right. Um, also, you're able to get yourself to and from the dojo. It's not, a, you know, you can start taking the responsibility for your own training and transportation and not have your parents, you know, being the support system at that age. Um, so prior to that can only be a first level black belt? Um, prior to that, there are actually 10 levels of junior black belt. Okay. Well, most juniors don't get to 10th level because you would probably have to start very, very young and progress very quickly through. Um, so uh, yeah, so under, so 15 and under, you're going for a junior black belt. When you get to junior second level or higher, and then as long as you keep training, when you turn 16, then you can test or you can just transition. It depends on your journey and your teacher's you know, understanding of how you're doing. Um, you can either test for it or transition into being a sensei, second level adult black belt. Got you. So, so but if you say you get to level eight as the junior black belt, the highest you would be is a second level black belt oh, adult, right? You know what? I'm sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> <laughs> edit that out. Scratch that no, out. No editing. It's okay. It's okay. Life doesn't have an edit. Neither does. I got stuck on the ten. There are five levels of junior in our system. Okay. <laughs> and that's changed. Like it is so rare for a junior. Like my sons, uh, we were able to to uh, support them and coach them through continuing through all those years. So I should remember this, but now they're a little bit older. So I forgot because they're no longer juniors. Um, there are five levels of junior black belt. And uh, yeah, so most kids don't get to fifth, but my oldest son did before he turned 16. And, and there are, I can only think of one other who got there, but there are probably others I'm forgetting. Sorry guys, but, but, um, they're probably not listening. <laughs> who knows? It might get, yeah, so they're like, oh, she didn't even mention me, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so fifth level, five levels of juniors. And then once you get to fifth level, yeah, most people don't, my son got there just at the age. He was probably 14 or 15 when he got to fifth level junior um and then he transitioned into being a, an adult sensei when he was 16 which is a second level black belt yes and then he asked if he wants to go further he has to test just like anybody else would test yes and yes. and what about your younger son where did he get to i believe he got to fourth level junior before he turned 16 um and then he ended up testing to be a sensei when he was 17, just because of how his birthday fell and how the test fell and, and COVID too probably slowed thing, everyone and everything down as we all know. Um, but yeah, by the time he got his license, he was 17. And shortly after he got his license was when he um, tested. Okay, so that that's interesting. I I just I never knew this. This is fascinating, and I'm sure our, our listeners they're going. This is interesting. And then for anybody who's ever wanted to get their kids or get themselves into martial arts, there there are different ones, and some some in America have been a, really commercialized about making profit. And it's nice to hear about 
uh, a system that's based and rooted in history um, and, and the like that that's really exciting to, to hear that and it has connections, you know, with Japan. Um, and you've, you've been to Japan, right? You've been to Okinawa. Yes, we went, my whole family went along with, there were about 20 of us in all from the Alliance who one was actually, or a couple of them were living there in Okinawa at the time. And um, the rest, so about 18 of us traveled over and we all got together and went to all of the major castles that have to do with our lineage. And um, it was an experience of a lifetime. It was amazing. So your particular form and alliance comes out of Okinawa as opposed to other parts of Japan. Yes. Yes. It's uh, Rukyu Campo. So my husband and I started in Shorinru. And then our instructor got hooked up with the United Rukyu Kempo Alliance and then um, became an, a part of that, which is Rukyu Kempo, the style. So Shorinru is kind of like if you were to say Coca-Cola classic diet, and then Rukyu Kempo would be like if you said soda. So our, our teacher's teacher, Taika Oyata, um wanted to go back to the heart of okay why was karate developed it was a life protection art and character building became a big part of it because of it being a good effective life life protection art um so in the last hundred years or so it kind of branched off and branched off and branched off. And there were three, there was one Shorinru and then they decided now there are three Shorinru's and now today there are probably hundreds of different types, styles of Shorinru. So our teacher's teacher, Oyata sensei wanted to go back, like who cares what looks nice, let's do what works for life protection. And let's recognize that all traditional karate is from the same roots and let's go back to those roots which is character building through the life protection arts. Like, let's just get rid of all this pretty, you know, nice and extraneous stuff that we don't need. And let's just simplify and focus on what we need to focus on for life protection and being better members of our community. So, but do they now, are there competitions still within it? And there are, it, it's not definitely not a big focus for like tournaments. Um, and the reason is we want, we, we do have students who've done well in tournaments and our instructor does a big tournament every year out in Missouri where it's like a, um, a charity, a charitable function, uh, you know, they're um, raising funds for, for a charity. But um, the, the main focus is we're developing our skills to help like to protect life and to help in our community. Whereas right. if, you, if you focus too much on tournaments and competitions, that's about beating your opponent and winning, winning a prize. So it, it kind of clashes with the idea that what, what am I spending my time here to do? What's the focus of what I want to do? So in the traditional Ruku Kempo, it is, we are developing our skills so we can be strong practitioners and better people. Uh, um, just in our community to support our community and basically be like protectors and helpers. Whereas 
tournament, it's go spend a whole bunch of money and try to get a prize. <laughs> it's not, there are some <laughs> great parts of tournaments. I've seen some, you know, great sportsmanship right. and awesome athletics, athleticism, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to beat the other guy. Whereas the only reason in Ruki Kempo we want to beat the other guy is because he's trying to hurt hurt us or hurt someone. Right, right. It, it goes back to the mentality of seek peace unless you need to fight to maintain peace. So to exactly. speak. I'm I'm butchering that phrase. It's it's seek peace always, except when threatened. Then let your soul become a warrior type of mentality. Okay. Um, which is interesting. I, I happen to have uh, another friend who is a world champion in karate. Um, like she's a two-time world champion, actually. And she was just a contender for the Olympics. Uh, I don't know if you knew that this, this year is going to, the karate is going to be at the Olympics for a one-time only. Um, and then it won't, it didn't get picked up for the future. It had been an exhibition for a few years. And then now it's this year it's a medal competition and then it's oh, nice. going away. But she, so she was a contender and she didn't make it through the, the Paris round. So she just missed it, I guess. Um, I don't know the specific details. All I know is she isn't going to Tokyo for the Olympics, but she, even before that, she was a world champion in karate. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to learn the differences in, in helping her write her book and in talking to you and then in working with um, some other people. I've been doing a lot of research about the different martial arts out of the Eastern world. And it's just so fascinating how they, you know, like things like samurai and thing and, and the, the Ru and, and, and like, um, and Kung Fu and, and all of them have these different mentalities, but ultimately they come from very similar roots and how they've splintered is just so fascinating over the thousands of years. It really is. Yes. It's just, I, you know, I can't, I can, I can, I, I try to think back and imagine, you know, a couple thousand years ago in, in China or Japan or, or somewhere in the, the, the region, the, 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 the practitioners sitting around talking, not having any concept that in a couple thousand years in this land called America, you know, right. <laughs> to figure out what the founding principles were of the, the, the marsh of the arts. So. Right. And that makes me wonder in, in a couple thousand years, where will <laughs> the martial arts be then? You know, it's probably something we could not even imagine now where they will evolve to, but it's awesome to be like a part of that chain. That's, you know, to carry on what the old masters were doing. And that's part of what I love about traditional martial arts too, is we are doing like katas that are over 200 years old, you know, the same exact moves that they were doing that long ago. And then to be able to teach our students and look at them and have all these great dreams for them for the future that, oh, I hope he, you know, this person's going to be a great teacher one day. And this person's going to be so compassionate and help others. And um, to be a part of the, that chain and to help it continue into the future. I wish I lived closer to you. I would have loved being your student all these years. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just, it's, it's just wonderful listening to you talk and seeing the passion you have for this cultural heritage that is just so important. And I, I, I definitely have to pair this conversation with a conversation with my friend in Japan who is a 
uh, I like to say a modern day samurai and his, you know, his mission is in part to, you know, ensure that the history of Japan and the culture of Japan is carried into the next everybody, you know, so people know the, the, the truth of, of all of this. I, I hope I'm interpreting that correctly. <laughs> uh, so his work is is really amazing in what he does. It's really, you know, quite fascinating. And I, I would love to have you meet him. He's he's just, I know I've shared some of his stuff with you. So, but in all of this, you also you're you're about sharing this this culture and 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 really rooting this culture into the community. And to do that, you created a book series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I and I know I've read them and they're beautiful, they're wonderful. But tell our, our listeners a little bit about that. Sure. So it's the Dojo Kun character books, which starts out with the Can Do Karate Kid. Um, and it's just my way of um, of not only I think more because it's two prong. Okay. So, so what? <laughs> One, they are books that karate kids can appreciate, like they can recognize, oh, okay, they're, you know, hey, there's the dojo kun that I learned in school. Or even if they don't have a dojo kun in their martial arts, they might say, oh, they're wearing, you know, similar uniforms or our uniforms are different, but look, they're kicking the same kind of heavy bag or they're doing the same move. Um, but I think the part that is really exciting and interesting thing is the other prong which is that kids who are not familiar with martial arts and maybe never train in their whole life this is kind of a translation or a way for them to see what the martial arts are about um what's important in traditional okinawan karate and not only that but how they can they even never doing any karate in their lives they can use the dojo kuns to uh better their lives so, so, so far I have three books out and in the first one, the, the Makoto is his name, which means truth. Um, and it's also a Japanese name and he learns how to defeat laziness and procrastination. So the way he does that is by using his dojo kun and he learns how can I, um, so the dojo kun are five precepts, which are um, good moral character, honesty, perseverance, respect, and restraint, or self-control. So he translates those into what he can do, because he's just this kid who just puts everything off, gets nothing done. Now his grades are failing in school because he just doesn't bother doing his homework. And when he does, it's with a lot of prodding and he doesn't do, you know, doesn't really try. Um, and then it all comes to ahead when he is late for his karate test and he can't test so that's when he realizes uh oh this there's a problem um and he figures out okay as his teacher actually asks him how can you use your dojo kun because he's like well what do i do how do i fix this and she's how can you do, use your dojo kun so he kind of figures out how to use each of those precepts in order to get onto a better path in his life um so yeah, so it, it's really exciting for me. I, I do the illustrations as well as the stories. Um, and the writing comes pretty easy for me. The illustrations are a lot more time consuming. It's kind of like if I was like 
cutting open my vein and and drawing with my own blood. Like that's what it feels like to me kind of emotionally and uh, <laughs> not really physically, but, uh, but it's like, it, that's how hard it is for me to do the illustrations, but um, it gets easier usually as I go along for the, a little bit, <laughs> at least I get more used to it. And the biggest part is just using my own discipline and sitting down every day and working on it for at least a little bit every day. And that's how I get the il illustrations done. Um, and then through the rest of the series, so you see Michi a little bit in the first book. She's like makes a cameo appearance. She's a karate girl and she's Makoto's friend at the dojo. And then in the second book, you see a lot more of her and so on. And then um, I'm working now on the fourth one, which is going to be about uh, respect or battling disrespect and trouble. Now we talked when we talked about it, we were and we were we did some mapping. Did you finally decide to do 10 books or are you going to do six books or seven? I have not decided yet. So when I first set out, I decided I was gonna do five and they're loosely based on each of the five dojo kuns. So all along I have said when I get to the fifth one, when I'm in the in the midst of working on the fifth one, that's when I'm gonna decide if it's done at five or if I'm going to go further than that so yeah so I'm waiting yet to make that determination <laughs> which should be sometime next year well I'm I'm all in favor of 10 books <laughs> you know that I'm also you should uh, consider translating it into Japanese Yes, I think that would be awesome. Um, I've thought about Japanese, even in Spanish, because we've had several students who are Spanish speakers. Um, I know a little bit of Spanish, a lot more Spanish than Japanese, so I could know whether the <laughs> translations are good. You know, if I have someone help translate it, I can uh, tell whether it's been translated right or not in Spanish. But yeah, and then it would be awesome to have it in Finnish too, <laughs> because I have Finnish family and I once had a, one of, they are awesome. I've got to meet several of them. And one of them said, um, yeah, I think I was working on my first book when we were talking and he said, oh, when you finish your book. So he, it was only one book at that point. When you finish your book, we'll have to translate it into Finnish, but we've kind of lost touch a little bit. So I don't know if that's gonna happen, but yeah, if, if I have anyone to help with translating, Again, the pictures are the hard part. So the, once the words are translated, it's, you know, that's to me fairly easy if I have good translators. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if the language, the translations is the words, you know, you, you have the pictures already, you would just change the words. I can right. help you with the Spanish. I can translate fluently in Spanish and I'm pretty good at translating into Japanese, but I also have somebody, a connection in Japan who does translations for a living. So oh, nice. He would, he, I, I don't know how much we, you'd have to pay him, but we'd have to talk. To right. Him. Um, but I, I, that I can help you with both of those. I have no contacts with Finnish though. I don't have anyone <laughs> in Finland. I, I apparently know someone by way of you in Finland. That's the thing <laughs> <of> that. <laughs> but yes. yeah, let's get on this. Let, let's I would be interested. I think a good first step would be to try to find, so Japanese people are so polite. And that's one of the things I love about Japan. Like they're so polite and respectful. So 
I would first want to try to find an honest Japanese person who knows something about the children's picture book industry to look at it and say, well, yeah, I think that Japanese parents would buy this for their kids if it was in Japanese or oh, I don't think they're going to like that because it's Americanized because it is Americanized in the um, the symbols on the cover. There's the symbol for Okinawa because that's the type of karate we do. The um, Liberty Bell is the symbol for America. And then the fist is more for our style, like Kempo is fist right. way. So the Liberty Bell is like kind of my my way of showing that, showing very, very uh, subliminally, I guess, that this is an American karate thing. It's not, even though we do traditional Okinawan karate, even if we never wanted to change anything, it's still being in our country and us being from America, it's going to be Americanized. Right. Right. So, so I just embraced that and accepted that, that, you know, we, we will usually say karate instead of karate. Um, so, yeah, so that because of that, they may or may not want to actually well, buy it for their kids. I, I think that, that, yeah, I, I can talk to my friend who does translation and, and get his sense because the people I know there wouldn't lie. None of them would give, they're all honest. They wouldn't, if they thought it wouldn't sell or they thought it would do poorly, they would say, uh, no, it won't do well. So I think the first step would be to talk to, to that friend and see if he's interested. So I guess I would need a, a, a digital copy of it to run it by him and, and share okay. it with him. So, uh, so yeah, look at this right on the, on the air, folks, we have made a plan and that's how conversations <laughs> go. Uh, for, unfortunately, though, we're running out of time. I think we might even be a little over time. <laughs> uh -oh. That's okay. That, that just that means we had an awesome conversation about karate and martial arts and, and traveling to Japan uh, and books. And there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, there's just so much more. Well, I will definitely have to have you on the show again, Jennifer, without question. Awesome. That sounds great. I'd love Yay! it. Um, so now for our listeners, though, if they want to find you to follow you on social media or even buy your book or hire or, or you know, or any of that, how do they find you out in the random world? The best way is through my website, which is jennifertolgogger.com. Okay. Now that don't think that Jennifer is easy because even that is spelled differently. And I know my last name is complicated already. So that is J-E-N-I-F-E-R-T as in Tom, U-L-L-G-A-U-G-E-R.com. So it's Jennifer with one N, jennifertolgogger.com. Um, also, if that does, if that's too complicated, you could just look up the Can Do Karate Kid um, on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of it. I, I think they're also listed under Dojo Kun Character Books, so you could look that up as well. Or the Can Do Karate Kid, the Two True Karate Kids, which is about battling dishonesty or the follow through karate kids, which is the third book on wrestling with quitting. And that one has more ground fighting in it. So it's mm -hmm. kind of fun for ground fighters. Um, but yeah, if you look, look up any of those, 
And if you see that it's by Jennifer Tolgager, then that's the right book. <laughs> well, and the good news is your name will also be written in the description of the episode. Um, so oh, yes. There we go. So, they, so it's your name minus the hyphen and space, yes. you know, dot com. So exactly. I, I definitely go check out her website, check out the uh, her social media, follow her on Twitter and on I you have a Facebook page, right? I do. I use that more for personal, but if you, I an author it, page, you, so you don't have a Facebook. Author I don't, page. Yes. I don't have a Facebook author page. I'm happy to, um, to friend people. I don't know as long as they're legitimate people. Like if you sent me a message <laughs> and say, Hey, I heard you on the identity guru podcast. That's fine. I'm happy to be friends. But if it just says, you know, I'm this person from Africa that just created my account, I usually won't friend you in that case. <laughs> Well, you're more generous than me. If I don't know you or have a connection in common that I can vet, forget about it. Right. So I have a, but I have a Facebook author page. So I tell people to go there. Yes. But I am on uh, Twitter as well and LinkedIn. Um, same thing on LinkedIn. Like it, it, if it looks like you're actually a person and not a bot, I'm happy to, to connect with you. Um, and what else? I'm, I am on Instagram, but I hardly ever go on there, but <laughs> that's the same connect on there. <laughs> yeah. I, I hardly go on Instagram either, uh, but I'm there and I maybe yeah. better. Maybe I'll hire someone to do it for me. No, I won't ever do that. Uh, but on that note, I loved our conversation. I learned so much. I am so excited to now learn more because I've learned just a little bit and now I need to learn a little bit more so I can keep learning a little bit more. So yes. thank you or, or arigato for being on the show and um, <laughs> I don't know that much Japanese. <laughs> That's basically you're welcome. <laughs> ah, yeah, I haven't learned you're welcome. I just know thank you. Um, I know thank you in about a dozen other phrases um, or so, and I know letters. I, I can tell you the letters. On that note, though, thank you again so much, and thank you for listening, um, folks. We will be right back with our next guest, who I, at this moment, as recording, I don't know who it is, but you'll know when you are listening. Uh, thank you very much and enjoy the break. Dojo-kun character books are fun fictional children's picture books with the right amount of weirdness and character building. And the can-do karate kid Makoto brings laziness and procrastination with him everywhere. That is until he realizes these monsters are ruining his life. This book helps kids learn to defeat laziness and procrastination by using karate power. And the two true karate kids, friends Makoto and Michi, both want a dog. When one of them cannot have a dog, the dishonesty monster pushes them apart. This book helps children fight dishonesty and value honesty. And the follow-through karate kids, Makoto and Michi, dream of painting a mural at their dojo. But every time the kids move toward their goal, the quitting monster attacks. This book helps kids learn to use hard work and perseverance to achieve goals. Learn more at jennifertolgogger.com or order at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or at bookstores. Wow, that was a great conversation. I remember having it with her and thinking, what more can we talk about? <laughs> but there's so much more we can talk about. I mean, a friendship of, of 30 years is one that is really grounded in a lot of wonderful things. And 
the fact that we now have this connection in our Japanese interest is absolutely wonderful. And I'm told her son is now officially hired to be a teacher in teaching of English in Japan and will be heading out there in 2022. So I'm so happy for him. Yay, round of applause. Yay. On that note, he did everything he could to qualify and he did. He prepared himself, he went through the training. He's now working on getting the, uh, what you need, you know, the work visa and all those things. He's preparing to qualify. And I keep bringing that up because the song today is of course called Prepare to Qualify. It's by a band named Punsapaya. And honestly, I don't know if they're still in practice. I was had, I had the pleasure of meeting them and enjoying their company and music. Oh, some back in 2006 actually is when I met them at an event that I don't even remember the name of the event. It was some uh, for some car rental place, not um, like a eco car rental. I think Igo was the company. And we had um, a blast talking and they gave me their CD and, and encouraged me to play it wherever I could. And so I'm still doing that. So if they're not together anymore, I'm really sad because they made some really amazing music and I would love to reconnect with them and have more music from them. But uh, Punsapaya uh, with Prepare to Qualify is just one of my favorite songs by them and by many artists in the local Chicago area as well as the world. Uh, so listen, enjoy it. And on that note, have a happy new year or I hope you had a happy new year celebration and may your coming year 2022 be much better than 2021 was. No matter what your plans are, no matter what you're trying to qualify for, when, no matter what choices you are making, make it a good year for yourself. On that note, I'm gonna go celebrate a little bit. Enjoy the song and I'll see you next year with the next episode of season two.